The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic with the Square Ball. Dan with you with Michael from the Square Ball and Phil Hay from The Athletic, where you can read Phil's match report from the Chelsea game on the website, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds Pod to sign up for a pound a month for six months, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds Pod. Plenty more on there, Phil, which I'm sure we will cover in due course, but it's all about what's going on at Ellen Road at the minute, isn't it? Basically run out of road. Uh, we're in on Thursday morning and normally we have a little bit of time to sort of plan these things and make some notes. This is very much shooting from the hip um, because the game finished barely 12 hours ago. Where is this team now? Shooting from the hip is probably best in these circumstances, I think. We might as well wrap up Arsenal and Chelsea as one package, really, given that they were basically the same game, conceded early, um, had somebody sent off for a for a daft tackle. Didn't really look after that, like taking anything from either game. I know Llorente scored at, at Arsenal. I know there was the late chance for Rodrigo. Um, but I think if I'd been Arteta, I'd have been very, very unhappy with the way Arsenal just kind of cruised through that second half and almost looked as if they were saying to themselves, if we need to score more goals or if we want to score more goals, then we will. And and suddenly, you know, it, it all got a bit tense. I didn't feel like Leeds were ever really in the game against Chelsea at all. Marsh afterwards said that he thought the red card changed the game, which it did to the extent that it meant that it was a guaranteed Chelsea win. And he also said he was quite happy with the start. I, I, I was really concerned by the start, the first 10 minutes, and you could feel it in the crowd, actually. there was It was pretty restless in that period. And the thing I found myself thinking as that was going on was that the, the body language and the, the anxiety, the, the kind of frailty, felt exactly like it had been when we'd been sitting watching Leeds against Spurs in Bielsa's last game. You know, the, the motivating factors for changing head coach and... and for thinking that a change of head coach would make the difference, felt like they were there again. You know, it was incredibly frail. There, there wasn't any confidence in the team. And on top of that, aside from the result, and, and it was a game Leeds were always likely to lose. I think that was true of this run of City, Arsenal and Chelsea. They weren't likely to take much from it. But with James suspended, Harrison injured, you know, concern about Rafinha's um, hamstring, it has again done a lot of damage to them. And they are in the red zone now because this is a weekend where they could go down. It can't be done officially, but they would be hanging on on goal difference, and goal difference is not going to save them. Um, everybody can see that. So it is, at, you know, this is the moment now. They're, they're going to have to get it done. Did you think the red card made any difference? Because I was saying last no. night, I, I don't think you could. I don't think you would have necessarily even known that we had a player less because it was a shambles before, and then it was a shambles afterwards, and it was it made no difference. The game plan was going well, said Marsh. I mean, we were one down inside five minutes what, and then not been in their half how, yeah, how can you possibly claim that the game plan is going well when the game plan has gone out the window inside the first five minutes and also an incredibly easy goal I mean that was a blinding finish from Mount you know don't pretend otherwise but the creation of it it was just you know the first point at which Leeds were exposed suddenly it was James against Strike, and you know the, there wasn't enough down the left and then there was nobody marking Mount and James had all the time he needed just to lay the ball back and, and as I say you know, no argument with the finish at all it was a it was a blinder. But no, I think the only thing that the red card did was make it easier for, for Chelsea, but they seemed comfortably in control. And, and I was sat with our Chelsea reporter, Simon Johnson, and he said to me, after Chelsea scored and had a couple of other chances, but then the game became a bit scrappy and Leeds started to get into Chelsea's half a bit more. He sort of said to me, you Chelsea tend to do this. I mean, rather than going for the kill, he said, if you're sitting here watching Liverpool, against Leeds and, and they'd got that early goal this would probably become 2-0, 3-0, 4-0 quite quickly but 
know, Chelsea aren't the same sort of side and, and they can be a bit lax. And it seems pretty obvious that Chelsea are not in great headspace at the moment. There's a hell of a lot going on down there. And it has been a kind of difficult season if we're being relative, you know, other clubs clearly having more difficulty. Well, ab- absolutely. But they're not a team who are absolutely flying in the way that City are and, and Liverpool are. So, yeah, I think what he was trying to say and, and what we were wondering was, is this Leeds getting into the game because the game plan, as Marsh put it, was starting to click? Or if Chelsea just stepped off a bit and kind of do, are Chelsea just doing what Chelsea do? And I, I think it was probably, probably the latter. Or a bit of both, maybe. Maybe a bit of both. The, if we're being the, fair to them. The, the pro- I think the problem with this team now is that you're not looking through it and seeing players who you think are going to win games for you. Phillips has not been great since he's come back and I don't know whether that's down to the system or, or whether it's down to the amount of football that he's he's missed, but it's been really difficult for him to properly exert himself. It seemed to me that it was basically a back five last night and everybody around me kind of felt the same with strike on the left, Rafinha on the right and a, a system that meant that Leeds were incredibly deep. And I know that was the kind of tactical plan against City and it might well have been the plan against Arsenal, but they conceded so early and, and likewise against Chelsea last night. But I don't see goals in this team. I don't really see where results are coming from. And the biggest concern now, I think, by a mile is the fact that with the injury list and the suspension list as it is, and you're talking Forshaw, you're talking James, you're talking Ailing, you're talking Dallas... We still haven't got Bamford back, although I did see Bamford skipping up the gantry steps last night, um, I think during the second half. So perhaps, you know, he's due to return to training tomorrow, which is Friday, um, full training. Perhaps there is a role for him to play still. But it concerns me that I look at the at what would be potentially the strongest to live in now. If, say, Rafinha isn't fit at the weekend and Harrison isn't fit at the weekend, is that is that strongest to live in going to be a team that's even capable of getting a result against Brighton? They They feel like... And we had Archie Gray on the bench again last night. They feel a little bit like they're heading back to exactly where they were, where, you know, when the season was most bleak, around about sort of December time, where it was a massive struggle to even fill the bench, you know, and, and to, to put a team together. They're just in so much trouble. On Calvin Phillips, his role in the Bielsa team was to operate basically on his own in that spot in front of the defence, wasn't it? And he had a lot of space to play in because... It was Leeds, like quarterbacking, wasn't Yeah, it? because Leeds made the pitch massive and he knew when he picked it up, he'd either pop it off to one of the centre-backs or he'd be looking for one of the wings. Popping it off to the centre-backs ain't so much of a problem. You can do that easily enough. But when he he's trying to be progressive, gets the ball in front of him and they're under instructions to sort of go through the middle, aren't they, to try and get through the lines. Dan James was stood about an inch from him at one point last night. And it yeah, was... that's the thing. So you're, you're, right, you're, so you're nullifying that best quality of his, which is to is to spread the play wide. And obviously, because we're playing five at the back, so he's got five players behind him, effectively. Does that mean I can't do the maths? Is it, what, two, three in front of him? Something like that? It's not a lot to go on, is it? So no, it's kind no, of it's taking not. out all uh, his, his best qualities. And uh, and the, the point with Bielsa was that it was there were kind of two aspects to Phillips' game and, and his role. One was the defensive work that he did so well. But the other was to pull the strings and, and he could do it with, you know, close interplay and moving, dropping deep, going long, you know, giving the centre-backs out balls from, from deep positions. But he was extremely good at picking passes and Leeds under Bielsa did what City liked to do under Guardiola, which is to use as much of the pitch as possible. And part of the reason that Bielsa was so big on wingers constantly and, and wanted James and, you know, always had a, a decent supply of them was because width was absolutely fundamental to the way that he wanted to play. And that was the part of the pitch where he felt that his team could could be most effective. So it did mean 
that Phillips had targets to aim for. The other thing was that Bielsa's leads were largely in the habit of dominating matches, even in the Premier League. So it would mean that you had a fair amount of possession. It would mean that from time to time you would come up against teams who would set up defensively against you because they didn't fancy the idea of going toe-to-toe. And again, that would give you more time on the ball. It would give you more time to to pick your passes. They are incredibly narrow. It, it does feel like everything really is is going through the middle. And I don't think it's helping having Rafinha so deep because there just isn't any presence um, or not enough presence from him going forward. And goals feel like a, a, a very, very big issue at the moment. And at this stage, you need goals because goals are what are going what's going to get you out of trouble. In terms of dominating teams, and if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to dominate possession and you choose to sacrifice possession a little bit, surely your shape has to be right then in that case. You have to be absolutely rock solid, but we're not getting that either. No, uh, I mean, if you go back to the start of the second half last night before Chelsea scored the second goal, and bearing in mind that Leeds were down to 10 players, they were always going to get stretched and there were always going to be gaps. But there was a little period in that where suddenly the shape was much better and much more dependable. The problem was a man down. They were never really going to be able to throw much in the way of punches in, in return. And, and they didn't really threaten Chelsea at all at any stage. But no, you're right. And I still feel that the best we've seen Leeds play under Marsh was his very first game against Leicester. When he'd had least influence. Well, when he'd had least time. <laughs> To, to be with them but but actually go back and, and watch through that game and you will see tactical ploys that that did make a difference you know and, and did kind of work the, the hunting in packs and, and players picking the moments to go the, the, there were situations in that game where you had beyond the halfway line every single Leeds player in a space of about 20 yards with the rest of the pitch completely open because what they were trying to do was hunt down the ball and, and as Marsh always says play in transition and they were unlucky to lose that game and, and they played pretty well. Since then, it's hard to pick out an outstanding performance at all. I mean, I, I'm at the stage now where I can't even say with confidence that this team have a performance in them because it wasn't there last night. It hasn't been there in the last few games. And if we're being honest, you know, even in some of the games when they had that good run, five games without defeat, there were points at which you weren't entirely sure how it was happening. Wolves away, it's still difficult to get your head around what went on that night. And, and Norwich, I think they... they probably deserved to win the Norwich game, but it was late, it was kind of desperate. You made a really good point after the Palace game, which was, we'll only know if that's a good point when we get to the end of the season. And, you know, looking back at it now, there was very little in the way of attacking threat in that game. There was very little in the way of chances that were going to win that game for Leeds. So it did it did bank them a point, it did get them a goalless draw. But given the games that were coming up, you did have that niggle in your head about, is, is that enough? And actually, in those circumstances should you have gone there and been more ambitious? You know, should you have gone there and, and tried to be more aggressive and, and tried to win the game? And who knows, it might be that they squeak up by a point and it might be that the Palace result ultimately was, it, it was part of them them doing the trick. But it, they really have been backed into a corner. On the goal scoring side of things, what does Rodrigo want? Because he didn't like Bielsa's methods, so we're here. He's been absolutely soft-soaped and talked up and added to a leadership group by Marsh and he's he's been given it seems a key role in this and he's still hopeless and doesn't appear to my eyes to particularly care. I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'd never get the impression from speaking to people at the club that he doesn't care. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's kind of quite easy to quite easy to draw that conclusion when it's, it's going badly wrong. But I, I don't disagree with the view that I just don't see where and how he fits. We're, we're two years into this now. 
it was incredibly expensive signing by Leeds standards and it just hasn't worked and nobody seems to see him as a nine. I'm not convinced he's a, a 10. Um, he doesn't look certain about whether he's a 10 and I still get the feeling deep down he would much rather play up front. I mean, it's, I, th- I think Marsh said a couple of weeks ago, you know, sometimes it might be best for Rodrigo if he was in a, a front two, which has just never really existed at Leeds for the, the past four years. Body language wasn't great yesterday. didn't look like influencing the game. It, it is. It goes back really to, to what I was saying about picking through the 11 players on the pitch and asking yourself, Who's going to sort this out? Who's going to put the hand up and, and who is going to dig them out of this? Phil, he's a record signing. Of God's course sake. he is, yeah. He, no, and, and he's 30, 30 million quid. And it hasn't worked. It has not and, worked. And, he, and he, you don't see any sign that the physicality is there, which then in turn leads you to the belief that the desire's not there. It probably is, but it seems to me like he's hiding. Well, you might be right. You might be right. Um, and I think everybody's just at a massively low ebb. I think the pressure is on. They can feel it. They know the implications you know, the implications of relegation are, are always fairly major, but from a reputational point of view, it's not great either, is it? You never, ever want to be part of a side who, who are going down. I think there were periods under Marsh where he's been better, he's been a little bit more effective, but the problem is that when you cost that amount of money, and not even just the money, you know, it, when you're coming from Valencia, you come from a club where you've played in the Champions League, where you've been at a high level in La Liga, you're expecting, in the way that Rafinha did, you know, last season and the first half of this season. When he wasn't playing right back. When he wasn't playing right back, but also when he wasn't, I think, feeling the weight as well of everything pretty much being on his shoulders. I'll get on to him in a second, but with with Rodrigo, you're constantly thinking, if you are that player, it's been international and you you cost this amount of money and and everything else, you've got this reputation, surely at some stage it's going to go bang and there's going to be a period where you're exceptional and you really, really shine. And it just doesn't ever happen. I think with Rafinha, his form has been dwindling before he's been playing at right back. And there was a period under Bielsa where it wasn't going great. You you remember him being substituted at Everton and then they had words the following week after that and he was on the bench against Man United. I wonder, and this is only me surmising, but I wonder whether Rafinha's just been asked to carry too much this season. You know, in the first half of the season, the goals were coming from him, assists were coming from him. Every time they needed a result or every time they needed a big performance, it seemed to be coming from Rafinha. You just cannot ask that over 38 games. There are always going to be periods where players dip and somebody else has to step in. And this is kind of where they are now. You know, it, it's not helping that Rafinha is so deep because he's he's not going to do any damage. But who else looks like influencing this? It doesn't feel like anybody does, really. Is it just that our opponents have been too good in these last three games? There is an element of that. There's certainly that. Uh, that's certainly true against City. I, I, I don't think any of us... I think you rashly predicted a win and then forced me to predict a draw. I didn't fall. Um, no, 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 no. You're, you're, yeah. you're rewriting. I, I, was, I probably am rewriting history. Rewriting history I, I, I felt like I was talked into that, but we knew, didn't we? Yeah, we knew yeah. that was probably a 4 0 I don't think Arsenal are the best team ever to finish fourth, which they look like they're going to. Actually, they could get beyond Chelsea as well. So, you know, I don't think they'd, they'd be the best side ever to finish third. But there was a difference there and there was a there was a difference in quality and it was there again last night, you know, man for man across the pitch. I'm not sure any Leeds player yesterday, the, the way they performed, would have got into that Chelsea team. So, yes, that that's definitely the case. But this run of fixtures was always coming, you know, it, it was always there. And we we're talking about Palace and the, the fact that whether or not you can say they played for a 0-0 draw, that's how the game worked out. It looked like Leeds weren't going to get anything more than a 0-0 draw from it. And 
it was a point taken before three games where they were likely to get none. And don't get me wrong, I know everything has, has turned on the fact that Burnley have suddenly hit a, a, a spot of form which didn't look like it was coming. But that's the name of the game. And also the name of the game is to own, you can only take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, everyone goes, well, you shouldn't have to rely on other teams. There is a grain of truth in that, isn't there? That you have to do enough yourself to justify staying up. And if you do that, then it doesn't matter what anybody else does. No, that's and, it. And I, and I think back to the Southampton game where it was level and we didn't really commit anything to trying to win that game. I suspect that was because as the, the form was going at that point, everybody was starting to feel pretty comfortable. And, and coming away from Watford, it's funny, Watford was the second week of April. This is the second week of May and we've gone from it feeling pretty serene and calm at that point, feeling quite the opposite. Now it's been a, a really quick, a really quick switch. But you're right. I, I think it became apparent a few weeks back that relying on results, other teams' results to, to keep Leeds safe was not going to be a strategy that worked. The, the teams were going to catch them. Teams were going to go past them unless they were putting points on the board. And I mean, it's, it's as I say, it's, it's incredibly stark now because if they don't take anything from these last two games, they're down. You know, if, if results go against them at the weekend, they could be down. They've, they've got to deliver. This is the red zone. They've, they've got to turn it on. What have you made of the substitutions in the last couple of games? I know the ones last night were enforced with injuries to uh, Rafinha and Harrison, but prior to that, with I'm thinking particularly Gellhart being taken off uh, at Arsenal. Yeah, and, and I found it strange afterwards that Marsh was saying... You know, I took him off because of circumstances, but also he, he hadn't looked particularly sharp. I, I didn't see any way that Gilhart was going to get into that well, game he, in we, that half hour. Was, was, not, he try, was he trying to preserve the 2-0 defeat? Well, well, but, <laughs> we I mean, not had the ball in their half at that, that but that's the point it, he was I, taken off. I had a look at his touch map and he didn't touch the ball anywhere near Arsenal's box and, and Leeds were barely out of the half. And from what he said, the strategy seemed to be, let's keep it as tight as we can, ultra tight, hope we nick something in the second half as, as they did from Llorente and then try and um, try and do Arsenal on the counter-attack and they did have a couple of moments at the end of the game, one in particular from Harrison where he picked the wrong pass as Rodrigo was going through the middle but it's tiny little things to cling to that and, and you basically need the one moment you get to click perfectly which, which it didn't and I know there was that Rodrigo chance right at the very end and maybe he should have made more of that but I think, as I said, I think if, if Arteta had come out with that, with a 2-0 draw, he'd have been saying to his players, what on earth are we doing? You know, that game was there to be wrapped up in the way that Chelsea did last night. Chelsea were, Chelsea were so had so much more nous last night than Arsenal did. They just put that game away. They made sure that, even even though it, it took a while to get to 3-0 where it was definitely gone, they just made sure that there was nothing coming from Leeds. You know, there was never going to be any real threat to Mendy. So the, the substitutions are not particularly making a, a difference. The, the formation and the the team choices are are not are not haven't worked these last three games. There is a bit of chopping and changing going on as well. You've got click in, you've got click out, you've got Rodrigo in, you've got Rodrigo out. Definitely hasn't settled on best eleven, and, and you know beyond that, and as has been the story all season, isn't really able to stick with the best eleven anyway because players are getting sent off, players are getting injured. The squad just isn't isn't good enough. It's just not good enough. Um, it's not to say it won't be good enough to keep them up because, as, like we keep saying, that the margin is incredibly fine. But for a good, strong, comfortable Premier League season, it's been inadequate. Can I get your take on Angus Kinnear's programme notes? And there's one paragraph in particular, Phil, I'd like to get your opinion on. We all knew the full tactical transition was impossible to complete in just 12 games, but our five-game unbeaten run and two consecutive clean sheets gives us a foundation to build from which suggests then that it was always the plan. They always knew at the time they made the change and whether you believe the change was necessary or not, it was always the plan 
to sacrifice being able to attack and be toothless and they accepted that we'd lose these games. Is that, is that what we're to read into that? Because that's how I take it. I think he'd probably argue the toss and say that he, he's not suggesting that they should abandon all, all attack and play. But quite clearly, and, and it's not just in these notes, you've, you've read it in others as well and you've heard it from Marsh, there has been certainly a, a, a stronger focus on how to tighten up the defence. That's fine if it works. The problem is, if you are t- trying to tighten up your defence at the expense of creating chances and, and scoring goals, and, and that's certainly been the case in these three games, it's a flawed strategy. If you're conceding after a few minutes, if you're having players sent off, if, if the game is just dropping to bits, and if you're showing no sign of, of taking anything from it. As far as the sort of tactical transition goes, and, and as time goes on, actually, the, the kind of initial idea that there were similarities between Marsh and Bielsa, hence, you know, why one might suit taking over from the other. The teams look nothing like each other's, it's got to be said. There's, that's there's an no, embarrassing suggestion, there's no, sitting where we are now, I think. There's no, um, there, there really is nothing about Marsh's leads that remind me, particularly of Bielsa's leads at all, apart from, I'll go say this again, the frailty and the, the anxiety that we saw at the end of Bielsa's time was there again last night. I, I think that has to be said and, and I'd be lying if I, if I denied that. It's fair to say, and this is the truth, that you could never have seen Marsh, Marsh at his best and his team at his best was never likely to be seen in these 12 games and, and we've said before that in order to really know what a coach is like, you need to transfer window, you need pre-season, you need a, a bit of sustained time where they can they can work on things. But I still don't feel as if whatever tactical plan it has that, that Marsh has got in his head, I still don't feel like we're seeing it consistently and, and like it's taking hold. And as I say, the, the team is sort of chopping and changing, the formation is, is chopping and changing. And you know, 12 games is a short period of time, there's no doubt about that, but it's enough to stay up. 12 games is enough uh, enough time to get the results that you need if it works and if, if you make enough of an impact. It's, it is enough time to make that happen. And to say that Bielsa would have done better in these 12 games or would definitely have kept, kept them up is is based on nothing because we can't say for sure. But the whole point of replacing head coach is that you fear that you're going to go down and you think that's going to make a difference. And if it doesn't make a difference and you go down anyway, then people are perfectly entitled to say, well, we might as well have stuck with Bielsa. Yeah, it's an, it's an absolutely moot point. You're right. It's completely moot now. There's, there's no point in even talking about it is it because we can never prove it either way no but if somebody says to you if if Leeds do get relegated and somebody says to you we should just have stuck with Bielsa I don't see how you argue with that you you can say well towards the end it was a mess under him as well in those last few games 14 goals in a week massive damage to the goal difference which ultimately might be you know might be the difference in this but in saying he wouldn't have turned it around you can't say that either and if Leeds stay up, they can say, look, we were vindicated by doing that because actually we don't think Bielsa would have achieved that. So fine, you know, okay, the, the table bears that out. If you go down, we'll you, get, we'll you get, just we'll don't get have in, that defence. We'll get, we're getting into a c- casino red or black situation here now, aren't we? Because we're running out of games. There's two yeah. left. We have to do it now or not at all. And it's either going to be the case that Marsh takes us down and that's the only established fact under the circumstances or Marsh kept us up and therefore they're justified. But the stakes are getting higher and higher and higher. Absolutely. On, Absolutely. On Marsh's deal, do you happen to know if the was a break clause. I honestly don't know that. I'm I'm not certain. It wouldn't surprise me if there was, but I'm just guessing. Um, it's quite often quite often the case. The only thing is, it is a long contract, and it does run to 2025. That's what I'm thinking. And he's, Ex- expensive. And he said he said more than once that he's ready to manage in the championship, and that you know this. And you see, 
there have been sort of comparisons made to, to Heckenbottom in the sense that Heckenbottom's period in charge didn't convince the supporters at all. So at the end of it, the, even though he had a contract and, and had only signed it in February, it, it felt like there was a decision to make. The one thing with Heckenbottom was that not only had the fans lost faith in him, the, the board had as well. You know, they'd looked at it and decided this just, this just isn't right. Speaking as of, you know, yesterday, before yesterday's game, I don't get the sense that that's the same. I think the board do like him. I think they do want to keep him on as head coach. That's how it seems to me, regardless of, of what happens. And it's a very, very recent appointment. It is. He's only been there for a short period of time. And, and you know, be a lot of questions to answer if you're suddenly saying, look, we don't fancy this one I was either. going to say, football is a mad, mad business. And we've seen, it is. we've seen many mad things. I mean, not least of all, when we had Chilino in charge, when quite conceivably Marsh might have been fired by now, mm. you know, but in no sensible world can you turn around and, and bin him after 10 games or, you know, could you? Well, the thing is, if we if the, next, if the next two games are similar in terms of the, the style, the pattern of play, we don't get another point. Is there any enthusiasm for keeping him next season in the championship? I would just be going into the summer thinking, well, we'll be sacking him in September rather than now, is the, I, is I, the way I would see it. I think the thing that's the thing that's not great about this is that so much of the, the rhetoric has become about him uh, and in actual fact, you know, the, the kind of feelings this season lie at the doors of so many other people. But, as I say, 12 games is enough to turn it around and, and to get it together and you've seen other clubs and other managers do that, exactly that in the Premier League in a similar similar space of time. It is difficult and I think if, the, if they were to go down this season, even actually if they were to stay up, there's going to have to be some expression or, or some explanation acknowledgement of what's gone wrong there's going to have to be some a, a pretty clear explanation of what lies ahead and what the plan of attack is I don't think this is a summer where you can really say to people you know just trust us and stick with with us I think that that was fair enough last summer you know however we want to criticize things however we want to to kind of dig out the feelings it was reasonable last summer to say look we think this is going to work it's gone well for three years so you know just just have faith in us which a lot of people did and, and it's gone wrong. But this summer would be different. You know, people would want answers and people would want to know how is it that what's happened this season will be avoided? How, how is it all going to turn? How is it going to change? What are you actually going to do to make, if Leeds are a Premier League club, to make this a considerably stronger and a more competitive side? And if they are in the Championship, what are you going to do to make sure that, you know, in the same way as Fulham, they are ultra competitive and, and in a position to come straight back up? People will want to know. It is probably a conversation for post-Brentford when we know which division we're in. But I dare say the conversation will actually be the same around what's gone wrong. What's been the biggest failing, in your opinion, this season, Phil? I said before, I think about that a lot and I can never, ever single out one thing. I can single out lots of things and I think it's all it's all amalgamated to create it's, it's a bit of a mess. To, it's hard yeah, to no, untangle it is the threads, isn't it? Part of me wants to say it's recruitment and the recruitment, recruitment last summer um, what didn't make it didn't have enough of an effect on the team, but then part of me wants to say, but the squad wasn't big enough and should have been bigger. But then part of me wants to say the squad might have been okay had it not been for the injuries, and Leeds might have been okay had it worked tactically for Bielsa this season as it did in the previous three seasons. I think all of that has played a part, and there is always this tendency to kind of pick your fights and to draw your lines and decide who it is or what it is that you, you want to blame. But I feel like it's pretty widespread and it and it's collective, really. And and I think when push comes to shove at the end of this, if if they don't stay up, you couldn't say, well, that's down to Marsh. 
but he has been head coach for for 12 matches so he comes into the discussion as well it's that thing of nothing has really clicked in the way that it needed to do and there've been knock on effects because the under 23s went down over the weekend the under 23s are a very very good team i went to the man city game with that big crowd and watched them and just thought to myself getting away from all this you know the table doesn't lie stuff they don't they don't deserve to go down they're a really good team but they've spent a lot of the season minus the best players because the best players have been sucked into into the first team squad um and that has a big effect you know and and so the consequence of that is that they've gone down to Premier League 2 Division 2 when I don't think they they, they deserve to at all so across the board it just has not been it has not been good and it hasn't felt right from the first month of the season I I have to hold my hands up and say I thought at the outset they would be okay we said on the podcast last summer we didn't think or I said I didn't think they'd finish ninth again I didn't think they'd be as good I didn't think the league position would be as good but I thought they would have the beating of three teams in this division but I was kind of looking back at some of what I was writing in August during the Man City game and the Burnley game and everything else and there was that feeling that it just didn't feel the same. It's kind of hard to put your finger on what it was because when you spoke to, I spoke to Stuart Dallas after the last preseason friendly and he said, that, like Dallas, Dallas doesn't bullshit really. You know, he tends to say what's in his head. He, he said, I, I think we are better prepared for this season than we were for the first one in the Premier League. He genuinely thought that and the, the running stats at Thorpe Arts were really impressive. They were smashing all the targets that they were set, everything else. There was kind of underlying confidence but it didn't take very long, I don't think. For it, once you got into August, September, that defeat to Liverpool and everything else, just to feel as if it was, you know, it's a little bit more on edge. Yeah, I mean, if you win at Burnley, you've got your first win on the board, and you give yourself that that springboard, don't you, to build the season? But I'm looking down the fixtures now, and we didn't win until October when we played Watford, and and it felt a little bit desperate and scrambly, didn't it? Even even then, and that's two games after the Newcastle away game, which we should have won. And you can see how confidence has eroded away over the season as, as the wins have become harder and harder to come by. I think if, if I was going to put it on one thing that has gone wrong this season that would have fixed it, well, I'll ask it as a question. If we had one more fit quality central midfielder in this squad, do you think we'd have an extra three points? I think they probably would. And that does um, it. So, yeah, sim- I, simple as, <laughs> as, simple I mean, as the, that. The, the one thing that I didn't mention when I was talking about things that, that have gone wrong is January. After the Spurs game, um, which I think was in November when they lost down at Spurs and they had a very young bench, I think that was the first time Archie Gray had been seen. Their report afterwards, the the entire theme of it was they're going to have to do something when the the January window comes around because they just don't have the players. And everybody seemed to be agreed on that. And actually, the amount that was was going on in the background at Leeds, the bids for Aronson, the talk about Van der Beek and Winks and, you know, the the late stuff about Kennedy at Chelsea and, and Minamino, Yes, publicly, they came out of that window and said, you know, we think um, we've got enough to stay up. And I think even then, all of us thought, well, probably, yeah, well, probably well, just about. Let me let me quote Angus Kinnear's words at that yeah, point. Then, yeah, Phil. Go on, go on. Our analysis indicates that many January options requiring an eight-figure investment would not be a material improvement on the current performances of emerging players. But in the background, they were trying to bid for Aronson. They were looking at Van der Beek. They were looking at Winks. You know, there was the talk about... It, it was... It was obvious. So, behind, so was that was that bullshit then? It was obvious behind the scenes. Well, I think what what he was trying to say was that there are players you could sign at that kind of cost that actually wouldn't make much difference, and you would you would pay the money out, and and the money would go. Now that's kind of hypothetical because it depends entirely on who it is that you're signing. You know, who who is it that's actually coming in? They might make a difference to the team, and that was a bit of a vote of confidence in the twenty threes, which I think has has been has been misplaced. 
to look at what was going on behind the scenes, as I say, the, the bid for Aronson, it's perfectly apparent that the, there was that feeling of, yeah, it would actually be good if, if players did come in at this point and they didn't. So that was that was a problem. The centre mid, definitely. I mean, that was the position. Last summer, they wanted left back, they wanted a centre mid and the, the thought in their head was if the right winger comes up late on, then we might do it, which they ultimately did with, with Dan James. Conor Gallagher was the one. Conor Gallagher didn't happen. Patrick Vieira said to him, come here, you play loads of games, you'll start loads of games. Bielsa, it's not criticism of Bielsa, Bielsa never made that promise to anybody. You remember the story of Ben White signing from Brighton, playing 46 games in that season. First day Ben White turned up, he was in the under-23s dressing room. You know, that's that's how it worked. And there were no kind of concessions made for anybody. Everybody had to earn it. Bielsa was never going to phone Conor Gallagher and say, yeah, you'll play every game because that's just not how it was. You know, you, you play if you deserve to play, you deserve you play if Bielsa thinks you fit. So Gallagher went to Palace and he was just down the road from from Chelsea and, and everything else. So yeah, would that have made a difference and pulled in another three points? I think it almost certainly would. Uh, we'd have done, yeah. For me, the biggest failing, and I think it's a phrase you've used, which I really like, Phil, is about the tail wagging the dog. And if you accept that Bielsa's method failed this season, then surely the responsibility for that has to pass up to boardroom level and the fact that they went all in on it. And you understand why they did. Like you were just saying, like last summer, we finished ninth, so why wouldn't you back Bielsa again? But equally, on the other side of that, everybody was saying, we need reinforcements in this area, this area, this area, because if we get key injuries, then we're in trouble. And lo and behold, all those worried predictions have come to pass and it's completely unraveled the season. Did we not require stronger leadership to prevent us getting into that situation? Maybe saving Bielsa from his from himself, or is that just not possible with Bielsa? I don't think you can persuade him to take ever to take players he doesn't want to take. I don't think you can persuade him. Although it did happen with Urenti, but you know, taking a, an additional centre back at the start of that season. But it was it, you know he he had his idea for how many players he wanted and and everything else. The kind of irony with that is that all those worries and concerns were there right the way through the first three years as well. There was always that concern of this squad isn't big enough, we don't have enough of this. I remember one guy on Twitter badgering me constantly in the first season about the fact that if we don't have another centre-back, we won't get promoted. And if I think back now, I don't think they didn't get promoted because they didn't have another another centre-back. But, th- you know, those anxieties were, were born of the fact that Bielsa was so different. You know, he was so totally different. But I think the way I look at it is that if you come out of January saying we have enough and we think we'll stay up and we've got confidence in this and then by February the 26th you're sacking Bielsa and saying we don't have confidence in him, we don't have faith in him, then if you as a board are in the mindset that you have to make a change, you should have made it earlier. You should have made it earlier. It would have been massively unpopular and it would, you know, it would not have gone down well. I can't in all honesty say that it would have been easy to justify at the end of January. I think it would have been really difficult because at that point... I certainly felt like Bielsa would have it in him um, to get the, the results that were needed. Didn't feel like that, I have to say, after the Tottenham game. I, I was at the point of being being really concerned. But the bottom line is, if they are relegated, you're going to look at it and say, the time at which was picked to sack Bielsa was the end of February when Marsh came in. That was the point at which Leeds said, if we make a change, this will keep us up and um, it'll make a difference. And if they go down, then it hasn't. So clearly it's been misjudged. Don't you think there's a bit of merit in that argument that the the guy who was tweeting you about the centre halves, you know, was saying we're one centre half light here or whatever? It's the same point Michael's just made about needing an extra midfielder. And you look at the margins in the Premier League. If we had three, four, five points extra now, 
which we could have easily, easily accrued over the course of the season. And we put that down to the lack of one midfielder. There is merit in it because yeah, yeah, what, no, what, all, no. all you need is for it to, to go wrong once, like it has this season when we get loads of injuries, suspensions, whatever it might be. We kind of we, we rode our luck in the in the previous seasons and it was enough. But as is always the case with football, it's fine margins, isn't it? I should say that in that first season, I didn't actually disagree that they need another one. We asked Bielsa constantly, you know, do, do you need another centre-back? We used to get this kind of non-plus response of, a, no, I don't. B, stop asking me this. You know, I, I've answered this and, and there's nothing else I'm going to say. So what happens the following season? They get rid of Janssen. They bring in Ben White. They don't have any more centre-backs than they did previously. It's one in, one out. And they they, they obliterate the, the championship. They win it and they go up by by a massive distance. But so, how, how many injuries did we have at centre-half that season though? Yeah, but it, that, it still worked, didn't it? So yes, it was a risk, but it, it kind of all, all came together. I think the chances were that it was that with a small squad, it was always likely to catch up on them eventually. But even last season, it was the same. You know, we, we could do with more players here, we could do with more players there. I certainly always felt that. The trouble was, you, you got into the mindset of saying, well, that just isn't what Bielsa does. And there was, to a certain extent, the risk that if you tried to force him into any of that, that he would say, well, if you're saying this, you clearly don't have faith in what I'm doing. So perhaps you should get yourself another head coach. And I do kind of sympathise with the the difficulty of wanting to keep him sweet and wanting to go give him autonomy and, and go along with, with his ideas and then finding yourself in a situation where suddenly you're worried about them and how do you handle that? Because it was never easy to go to Bielsa and say, you need to change training because there's too many injuries, you need to take more players because you don't have a big enough squad, you know, you need to play Gelhart more, you need to do this, that and the other. He was 100% his own man, which was one of the things we, we loved about him. But tail wagging the dog, that looks to a certain extent how, how it's gone this season. And, and that has, I think, been part of the problem as well in amongst a multitude. One of the recurring themes we've been talking about on many shows this week is that the day of reckoning is to come. And I think we've probably touched on a lot of the issues there today that we'll be discussing. Is, is that why I've got a note on my desk written by Moscow saying, <laughs> help us fill... It is getting to that stage now, isn't it? that desperate. And with Watford's draw against Everton, it has left the door open there a little bit because you feel like a win for Everton there would have basically sorted them out. As it is, it's going to roll forward for them another week. We've got two games left now. Brighton at home on Sunday. We'll be playing after we know what Burnley have done. I just wonder what this is going to feel like on Sunday. It's hard to tell, isn't it? And because we're talking about that, that casino red-black analogy with the stakes getting ramped higher and higher and higher and higher. It feels to me like, from an emotional point of view, this one is almost on a knife edge because that crowd has been forgiving time after time after time after time. We saw it yeah. again um, last night with the Chelsea game, that show of support at the end. Even if it was a little bit flat throughout the game because people are fed up of seeing us getting pumped and offering nothing going forwards, people are still with this team and perhaps there's an understanding that this game is the one where we need to start seeing something. I thought it was quite interesting in Kinnear's notes last night that he was talking about a two-horse race before the Chelsea game and before Everton had kicked off at, at Watford. I think I fully expected Everton to win at Watford and they've got three games left. They've got a game in hand. They've got two home games against Brentford and Palace. They never feel well at Arsenal and, and that's where they go on the, uh, the last day of the season. But I think they'll get something from the next two home games. So I, I, you know, I confidently think that they will be out of it. I do think it is a, a two-horse race. But they, they, it, they do love an, an absolutist position at Leeds, don't they? Um, well, suffice to say that it is still, you know, the door is still open, like you say, but I don't, if I was asking you to put money on Everton going down now, you wouldn't, would you? No. You, you think it's between two in the same way that I do, and I'm pretty sure Michael does 
as well. It's going to be it's going to be Leeds or Burnley. It could help. You know, the the result at Tottenham could certainly help the mood on. Sunday, it could be could, detrimental or, to the mood or, on Sunday. I mean, yeah, but the, could. given the mental fragility or the apparent mental fragility of what we're seeing out of this team at the minute, but let's assume that Burnley go there and lose because the Premier League seems to work generally that way. Will that just crank the pressure up on getting a win even more? Will it, will it be counterproductive to this team? I mean, not that we've got much much option because we need them to lose, but I just wonder: are they that fragile that they couldn't even cope with that expectation being pumped a little bit higher? I don't know. I, I can't. I can't really do psychology. I was sat um, finishing my report at Arsenal, and I was overhearing the steward who was saying, and I, I'm not misquoting him here. Was saying, I think it's a good thing that Leeds are in, for Leeds that they're in the bottom three now because Burnley are out of the bottom three. So you know now they're being chased and they've got to cope with the pressure of being out of the bottom three. And I was sitting there thinking, what? No, no that's just the, the little I know about psychology. It's just that's just not how it is. You just do not want to be. You don't want to be chasing at this stage. You, you you want to be making making progress. I don't really see how Burnley losing at Tottenham would have a detrimental effect on the way the players are thinking. I, I think it'd just, be the, the it opposite, was, don't you think? Probably. Just it was just an open question, though. But yeah, I I I think it would, I think it would help. I think it'd help the crowd. You know, if if Burnley have made no progress and you're looking at that game thinking one point takes us out of the bottom three with one game to go. Okay, Burnley have got another game next week. Um, but you, you you're counting on Villa to to turn up for that in the way that they did to Tough Moor as well. If if it means that you go into the last day of the season a point clear of the bottom three, everybody would jump on that at the moment. Um, and if if you win the game, if you happen to beat Brighton, then actually suddenly it is firmly firmly in your hands, um, and everything piles onto Burnley, and they have to win the last game. Um, they, there's no there's no option. I I think. A Burnley defeated Tottenham is exactly. Well, I mean, obviously, it's what's needed yeah. the weekend. Yeah. But do you understand me? For, for yeah, the, my, the atmosphere. It's my it, question was more about how did the Leeds players handle it? Actually, regardless of what the outcome is, there. I mean, obviously, if, if Burnley go there and win, then we're in a whole world of trouble. Um, sure, sure, yeah, and surely they handle that worse. Do yeah, you think? Absolutely. I just wondered. Yeah, well, I, I, how will they handle? Just the the best result. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know at the minute. Do you know I what I, mean? I don't know. No, I, I I don't know. And and that's that's the thing with Leeds now is that they they aren't going to get help from anywhere else if they're not picking up points themselves. No breathing space. Part of my fear about this Brighton game, and I still remain optimistic despite everything that will stay up. But part of my fear is that we go into the Brighton game having seen Burnley lose, and then Leeds try and not lose because it could make for a challenging afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um. Although. That would have to be the tactical plan from the outset, though, wouldn't it? I mean, to rejig your tactical plan shortly before kickoff because of a result elsewhere is is not a good look. It is not a good way to go. You've got you've got to follow your own mind, and you've got to be really, really dead set on what it is you're going to do and how you're going to play. It's different if at the death of the final game of the season you're throwing on three centre forwards because you know what the hell? What does it matter? You've you've got to go for it. But I think Bielsa always used to talk about how. And I'm sorry to talk about him, but he always used to talk about how if he deviated from his plan, the players would start to say, he's not got confidence in this anymore. He's obviously starting to doubt what we're, what we're doing. And I think you would have the same effect that if you'd prepared for this Thursday, Friday, Saturday to play in a certain way and then Burnley lose um, at Tottenham and you suddenly say, right, do you know what? Forget all that. We're going to do, do this differently. It, it doesn't send a great message at all. So... Emotionally, it will affect things on Sunday. It, it definitely will, and ho- hopefully for the better. You know, like I say, if if Burnley lose, then I do think that makes a significant difference, and it will make a significant difference for the crowd. Definitely, 
if Burnley were to win, you'll feel proper, proper tension around the place. I've got a feeling it's going to shape up from a mostly nil-nil on Sunday. I think that's how how we'll set out. I'm kind of reminded of the game when uh, I think was it Millwall had beaten Sheffield United and we then we played Wigan. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it was set us up. It was like. Ah. It's yeah. on. It's on. All we need to do <laughs> is beat Wigan, who haven't won in about three months. Yeah. But Brighton are quite good, unfortunately. Or even if we were to somehow go one up and then they try and hold on to it. I just mm. I, I've just got visions of how Leeds United tend to do things. And and if we're gonna do it, I still maintain it'll be squeak it on the last day. Maybe a nil-nil draw against Brighton, and then we go to Brentford and lose while thinking, oh my god, the world's collapsing, but then you know, Burnley go and lose as well. Chris Wood scores yeah, yeah, at yeah. the death and um salvation is at is at hand. Um, yeah, I, the concern for me, I've got to say, is what is the living going to look like mm. on Sunday? Even if you take out nerves and tension and the, the pressure of, of what might be coming, if we sat here now and if the, you know, worst case scenario, there's no Rafinha, no Harrison. We're seeing Marsh Friday, you know, we'll find out on that. He said about Rafinha that it was more cramp, um, although Rafinha did look pretty uncomfortable. Harrison was due to have a scan. Um, I think if, if there's any sort of damage to Harrison, then that's you know it's like a week to go. So that's that would be him him done. You've obviously lost James. You've you've lost Ailing. If we went through and put together a best eleven for this game at the weekend, how would it look? Mm. I've just, I've tried. Is it is are we getting to Christopher Classen up front territory? I, th- I think it has to be a back three because we, Furpo and Shackleton have to be the the wing backs probably. Right, yeah, back three of Cooper, Cock, and Urente. Click and Calvin in the middle, then Bamford on one foot up front, and then probably Rodrigo and Rafinha, Gelhart, Greenwood somewhere in the mix as well. Hmm. That's going to be the fascinating thing on Sunday is what is Bamford's role in this? Does he make it onto the bench? Does he not? You know, can do, do you roll the dice on him at this point, even though he's you, just you have, back? you have to be fair to him and say that he he's already had he Bielsa talked about him playing through that ankle injury at Newcastle earlier in the season because they needed him to stay on the pitch and and it making it worse. He's obviously had the um, the hamstring strain after coming back from from that injury. He's had the foot problem which came about um, through shooting drills at Thorpe Arch and then he's pushed himself to come back on the marsh and it's re-aggravated. There's probably nobody in the squad who's actually put their body through more and, and taken more risks with their body to, to, to try and help than him. So yes, they need him, and I think if if there's any way in which they can use him, then they should. But he's already missed a lot of football because of because of injury. There is a World Cup coming up later in the year. I think, yeah, no, I, I know, I know why you're looking like that. But it is only a year since he was kind of on the fringes of, of it, and he'll be saying to himself, or he would probably like to say to himself, look, if certain things happen and things fall into place. Maybe it's not impossible that I find myself on the plane. I don't see it. I, I think this season's given him given him no chance. But if you aggravate it, and you know he's he, he's out for any length of time next season, then you can absolutely forget that. And also, he'll want a full year next year. He'll want to get back into the team. He'll he want to get playing. So it's a, it's a delicate toss up. Um, I think if you can risk him in a fair way, then it would make sense to do it. I don't think you can be unfair to him by saying. Whatever state you're in, you need to get on the pitch. Are we ruling out like pumping him full of experimental hormones and just sending him out there? That's not a done thing these days. Turn him into a sort of android <laughs> and like, yeah. like some sort of racehorse like or whatever. Some, some sort of sci-fi <laughs> film where you just stick some weird weird stuff into him and he turns into the incredible Hulk. As I say, I did see him skipping up the steps um to the gantry, which made me think And then he limps back could, down again. <laughs> <laughs> which which made me think, hey, you know, the the in the sort of sad way that you read things into this stuff, I was like, Oh, you must you know. You don't look in, in bad shape. Can we avoid a red card, do you think, on Sunday? That's probably a, a preferable outcome. It's It's got to be done. 
he's pretty tub thumping, isn't he, Marsh, in the way that he talks. And he has spoken about, you know, wanting Harrison to be more aggressive. I don't know what part that's played in it, but the, I mean, Dan James been, Dan James was a real son of a bitch they, last night. They've been overly fired up, him and Ailing in those two two challenges. I think the worst aspect of it was that neither neither challenge was really necessary in the position that it was made. It didn't have to be like that, and it just felt like a rush of blood, which has to be related to the pressure of the situation. This is when this is when you make mistakes. This is when you do things that you shouldn't. In the same way as Millie making that error at Arsenal um, for Inketia to stab the ball in. You kind of always feel like this after the event with stuff like that. But I, I saw that happening when the ball went back to him and I saw how close Nketiah was to him. I just thought to myself, Kick it. if you take, yeah, stick your right boot through it. If you take a touch on your left, you, you're going to get squeezed here. And you almost couldn't believe it was happening, but that's how it goes. And that was why, you know, writing about that game, I, I was saying everything here is just saying going down, you know, like Ailing getting sent off, conceding goal like that, 2-0 down after 10 minutes. It's not, it's not encouraging. So yeah, I mean, it's got to be a living on a living this weekend. It, it absolutely has to be. I mean, they're, they're at the point now where they, they can't physically lose any more players. And I mean, this, this um, I mentioned it on the match ball that we did last night, but part of uh, the, the doctrine that, that Marsh tends to follow, it's, it's a German acronym, S-A-R-D, but it's basically the four elements that you've got to bring into your game to, to succeed in, in Marsh's eyes. And the A, the, the second one is, is all in. Um, and I do wonder if, because he's been encouraging that aggression, maybe this is what's spilling over when they're, be, you know, when things are kind of getting a little bit frayed mentally, that the aggression is then spilling over. And we saw it with Dallas. It's actually probably cost us Dallas as well, hasn't it? Because he kind of lunged in for for Grealish. That's him done. And then obviously the red cards. It's hard to say. With and, and I'm not. I should say yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pin all this on on Marsh. I'm just saying is that if aggression is within the mindset now, that when the, the discipline starts to go mentally, that I I, I spoke to. Snodgrass um, for the piece we did on Dallas is slightly different injuries but essentially affecting the same area um, and, and both as, as serious and they were treated by the same surgeon and they were both looked after by Rob Price so there was, there was quite a connection there and Snodgrass was saying when I saw that challenge I totally understood it because it's Ellen Road that does that to you you know you, you do get into the mindset of committing to everything and sometimes over committing because you feel like you have to and you know the whole heart on the sleeve thing which is very much how, how Dallas is, plays Is this our fault Phil? No, um, it's it's the fact that it's a, a club that kind of matters yeah, um, and, a, and a, cl- a club and a crowd who, who care and are totally, totally invested in it all. And it's, it, it's in a sort of perverse way, it's professionalism, isn't it? It's, you know, taking out Grealish like that, even though it's a late tackle and even though it, it does that, that's because you're all in the phrase you use. Mm. That That is Dallas, that is other other players. When it goes over the top, as it did with Ailing and and James it's it's really costly and what I think was quite notable about both of those fouls was that nobody was trying to defend them once you'd seen the replays you, you tend to find in any circumstances players take a gun out and shoot an opposition player somebody will go yeah but you know he was time wasting earlier in the game like you know <laughs> there's, there's always there's always somebody but both ta- both challenges I mean I with the James one where we were sitting we had a poor angle for it and it looked like a heavy hit but it didn't look like a red card because we didn't see his foot go through his, his ankle and you assumed that he just slid through him and, and taken him out a bit. But with that one and Ailing, as soon as you saw, I thought Ailing was the red card straight away. As soon as you saw the replay with James, there was no point in trying to sort of argue the toss and say, oh, he might have got the ball a little bit or this, that and the other. It just was a red. From um, the cop, I said a red straight away. Yeah. You were saying the, that earlier, yeah. The angle he was at, you could see he was well, you could see him well off the ground and it, it, as Dan James does everything, at pace as well. And you just saw it and it was like, ah, 
gone. Unless he's, his only hope was that from the replay, he'd actually completely missed him and the player was faking an injury, which when you see the replay, he very definitely was not faking that injury. He, he, thing, he's kind of lucky to have escaped it without a break, I think. The thing about James as well, though, is that you've seen his tackling style and, and quite often, mm. you, you know, you've seen him take out a couple of keepers by getting to the ball late. Um, it's, uh, I suppose, I don't know if he's from the Paul Scholes school of that not being his, his strength particularly. But, you know, I, th- I think you saw it with Ailing as well on Sunday as he was coming off the pitch. There was that horrible realisation of, I deserved that and we're not going to be able to appeal this and that's me done. You know, I'm not going to play before the end of the season. And I mean, James looked totally, totally shell-shocked by that decision. And I, I think we'll probably be totally shell-shocked when he thinks to himself, I've now got to sit and watch the next two games. You know, mm. the, it, last night you had Dallas in the crowd, you had Bamford in the crowd and obviously the camera cut to them from time to time. And I thought with Dallas in particular, mainly because the camera was more on him, you didn't see too much of Bamford. But when it came to Dallas... You could just see in his face. He was quite pale, wasn't he? Uh, he was just <laughs> ha- haunted. It's just well, I don't doubt that a couple of weeks of morphine have probably <laughs> you know had some effect there as well. But Dallas strikes me as exactly the type of guy who would be sitting there thinking, "I cannot cope not being out, not being out there, you know, not being able to do anything, having to sit and watch this this kind of unfold." It's it's. Very, very hard to take. Have you uh, have you got any strong stuff left from your op that you could? Uh... No, I I always said that the um, the morphine Just put us to sleep for a week. The morphine I had was um, was pretty rubbish to be honest. It was it just tasted sweet and didn't do a, a great deal. Not like the, the good stuff that you used the to. Anesthet- the anaesthetic before the operation, on the other hand, was absolutely amazing. It was <laughs> Buckfast, like, wasn't it? it? It was either Buckfast or heroin, something like that. But it was it was. Um, that that was that was proper trippy, um, but but the morphine no that was that just kind of dulls you dulls your brain, um, but you know as I say, just looking at him, it was that classic shot of footballer who desperately wants to be playing can't play and feels totally helpless. Mm. And despite all this, I mean, this has been quite a tough show. In that, I think we're all concerned. I think we've been heading for a tough show I mean, yeah. for a while. Yeah, but despite all that, things could look different. I, mean, I know we keep saying could could have would have should have, but. Sunday evening, if 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 we do what we need to do, which is to win a ma- win a football match, how hard can it be? That's what I ask. And you never know. Brentford squeaks something out of Everton, and hopefully Burnley go to Spurs and lose. Lots of ifs and buts, but it could feel a lot better, couldn't it? Sunday night. Well, th- there's no reason why that's more unlikely than Burnley going to Spurs and winning, and Everton putting Brentford away, and at least losing to Brighton. Both permutations are, are entirely possible. I think the most likely is that the results don't change a great deal and everybody goes into the last game saying, right, well, it's pretty much as you were or, you know, shifted around a, a little bit. This is the odd thing at the moment is that for all the, the negativity and for all that you're kind of struggling to see the light, it, it is totally, totally conceivable that Burnley don't pick up another point. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's unrealistic at all given that it's Tottenham, it's Villa and then Newcastle at home. Those are not easy games. It's also conceivable that Leeds don't pick up another point. Is the point, yeah. Um, but it's equally possible, very possible, that Leeds do get a point from Brighton or do get a point from Brentford and that it is imagine, imagine two. Imagine two points, Phil. Well, imagine they just win on Sunday mm. and... And then again on the Sunday. Yeah, uh, and, you know, they finish on 40 points and everyone goes, <laughs> Nice and easy. It's fine and Burnley go down on yeah. 34 and in the end the target of 35 that Leeds were talking about is, is absolutely enough. It could happen but it's all ifs and buts now and I think that's always how it is at this stage of the season. Like, it's ridiculous saying this because we've been talking for an hour now um, but 
you, you can talk this to death and in the same way as before Chelsea. <laughs> Join us next know, week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before the Chelsea game, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, about will they be focused on the FA Cup? Will nope. they be distracted? Does this not <laughs> nope. matter? People thinking, you know, it may be a good chance yeah. that. And I said to Simon Johnson last night, I said, I, I'd rather fear that by 10 minutes we'll all be sitting saying, well, no. As it turns out, um, yeah, that's that's not the case. And and that was it, wasn't it? You know, you, you can surmise these things, you can and analyse them, but it's, it is now all about, it's all about what's going on on the pitch. And obviously there are loads of facets to that. So, the team selection makes a choice. It makes a difference. The tactics make a difference, but it is just the, the 90 minutes. Do or die time. Not quite, but basically. <laughs> right. Well, we will return next week then. Um, it'll probably going to be, it's going to be ahead of, this will be exciting because we'll be recording probably ahead of the Palace and Villa games for Everton and Burnley respectively. How are we going to do that? And then <laughs> the show will be out after that. We need to think about this. Yes. We need to think <laughs> about this. Um, Let's plan. You can say hello to us on Twitter at the Phil Hay Show and sign up for The Athletic. Pound a month for six months, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. We'll speak to you next week. The Phil Hay Show.